Well, uh, let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Lord, I pray that the words I'm about to speak this morning and the thoughts that we think is together, we meditate on this story, this parable that you told. Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O God, who is indeed our rock and our redeemer, our savior. Amen. So when you think about this story, when you think about these two characters in the story, the Pharisee and the tax collector, which one are you? Now, I, I know you're thinking, well, I'm not either one of those guys, right? Like, uh, like, I didn't come in here this morning and sit off in a corner by myself and look around and go, man, I'm glad I'm not all the rest of these scumbags that are coming to worship today, right? None of you did that. And I also don't see anybody in the back corner kind of not willing to even look up and just kind of pounding on their chest going, man, I don't even deserve to be here. But, but maybe not to that extreme, but my guess is all of us, at least on the inside a little bit at some level, are like one of those two characters. There are, there are some of you that are here today that if you're really honest, you would say, you know, there's a part of me that uh, feels like they're pretty lucky to have me around here at this church, right? There's a, there's a little part of you going, I, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, 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 I volunteer a lot, I, I, I tithe, I get involved. You know, there's probably a part of some of us that's kind of going, yeah, you know, they're kind of lucky that I came here this morning. On the other hand, there, there's probably some of you that are gathered here this morning and, uh, and you're going, if they only knew some of the stuff I've done, they wouldn't let me in here. You know, if, if, if they only knew some of the thoughts that I've had, if they only knew some of the stuff going on in my life, they, they, they just, they wouldn't want me around here. It's a little bit of Pharisee and tax collector, maybe in all of us, depending on the day, right? And, uh, and so we want to study the story a little bit. We want to see what was Jesus trying to teach with these two characters and what can we learn about ourselves so it's, it starts in Luke 18, verse 9, and, and we're told this. It says, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Now the word there, that righteousness word, is really important. Because that, it's the meaning of that word that we need to make sure we've got a handle on. Now, when we talk about righteousness today, maybe the first thing you think of is like self-righteousness, right? Like thinking you're better than you are. I love this cartoon. It's like the guy at the pearly gates, and he says, you're a believer, yeah, but you skip the not being a jerk about it part, right? You know? I mean, we kind of have that reputation, unfortunately, sometimes as Christians, that, that we're self-righteous, like we feel like we're better than other people. But, but really, the word righteousness, if you do a search, is more about this. It says, a righteous person is someone who's morally right or justifiable or virtuous. And, and synonyms are like good, virtuous, upright, upstanding, decent. Notice, that's all about our behavior, that righteousness is all about being a good person. It's about good behavior in our lives. But the reality is that definition is very different than the definition would have been in Jesus' day. The New Bible Dictionary says it well. It says this, righteousness implies a correct relationship to the will of God, which was particularly expressed and interpreted by Israel's covenant with God. In other words, did you notice that word? For, for the people of Jesus' day, righteousness was about relationship, specifically relationship with God. 
And, and so here's the question that I have for you, and it really relates to that idea Dan said before about this kingdom truth that you want to make sure you don't leave here without understanding. And, and the question is, what does it mean to have a right relationship with God? How do we get a right relationship with God? What, what's that right relationship with God all about? That's what Jesus was trying to teach the people of his day with the story, and he can teach us today. So let's take a look at each of these characters. Jesus starts, he says, he says, there are these two men, and they go to the temple. But, but when they go there, even though it was the normal time to gather for worship, there would have been a whole crowd of people worshiping there, the two of them separate themselves from the crowd, and they do it for different reasons. First of all, the Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And because their society revolved around their religion, they were the leaders of the society of the day. A Pharisee's job was pretty simple. Study God's law and live it out as best you can. That's what they got paid to do. That's what their life was all about. Studying God's law and living it out as best they could. And this particular Pharisee in Jesus' story is really a good Pharisee. Look at what he says. He says, I fast twice a week. The rule was once a week. He does twice as much as he has to. He says, I tithe on everything I have, not just the stuff I'm supposed to tithe on, everything. I tithe on everything. In other words, he was a, an outstanding Pharisee. But then you've got this tax collector, right? Now, tax collectors were Jews who had been hired by the Roman government to basically exploit their own people. Here's how it worked. A, a tax collector was hired by the Roman government, and they had a region, and it was their job to collect taxes from everybody in their region. And, and the Romans gave them a quota. They said, this is how much you have to collect. And by the way, anything you collect more than that, you get to keep. And, and so tax collectors would collect a lot more than they were supposed to collect. So they could keep it. They became very wealthy off the backs of their neighbors and their friends. In a lot of ways, they were traitors to their own people. No wonder they were looked down on and, and seen as sinners by the society. This particular tax collector gets it. He, he feels guilty about it. He understands that what he's doing is wrong. Now, both of these characters got some things right. All right, so, so let's, before we start putting them down, let's take a look at the things they were doing right. Both of them got some things right. In fact, the first thing they got right is they went to church. By the way, you guys did too. Pat yourselves in the back. Nice job this morning. You're here, right? But, but, but seriously, church attendance is something that's dying in our society. Less and less people are going to church. And in fact, even Christians that say they go to church regularly go a lot less than they used to go. Regularly means uh, something a lot different. But, but both this Pharisee and this tax collector, when it's time for worship, they go. They know the value of gathering together. And, and even though the tax collector collector doesn't feel worthy to go there, and even though the Pharisee feels like he's better than everybody else that's there, at least, at least they're going to church, right? Here's the other thing they get right. They both believe in God. In other words, they're both talking to God. They both believe in him. They both understand his presence in their life. They're both concerned about their relationship with him. A few years ago, we did a series on the intersection of faith and science, um, and I learned about this guy, Francis Collins. He, he's a doctor, uh, but he's even more than a doctor. He's a research uh, physician, and in fact, he's the guy that helped map the human genome. This is a smart guy, and, and he was raised as an atheist. He, he was raised by parents who did not believe in God, and he was taught from little on that there was no God. 
But while he was during his residency, he, he was seeing a patient, it was an elderly lady, and, and, and she asked him if he believed in God, and he said no, and she said, well, why not? And he didn't have a good answer. He had made a life out of researching things and knowing why he believed what he believed, but he had never researched this whole idea about God. So he says in his book, he set out to research this idea of God, expecting to be able to prove to himself that there was no God. But in fact, the opposite happened. Look at this quote from him. He said, I had started this journey of intellectual exploration to confirm my atheism. That now lay in ruins. Faith in God now seemed more rational than disbelief. In other words, as he considered the evidence, he decided the evidence pointed to the fact that there really was a God. But that led him to another conclusion. Look at how the quote goes on. He says, there was another consequence of this growing sense of God's nature, a profound dismay at the realization of my own imperfections when viewed in his light. So notice what happened to Francis Collins. When he decided there really was a God, the first thing he started worrying about was, well, how does that God feel about me? How does that God look at me? What, how does my behavior affect my relationship with that God? And that brings us back to the Pharisee and the tax collector and some things they got wrong, because honestly, the first thing that they got wrong was the same thing Francis Collins was getting wrong. They thought their behavior was what mattered. Now, a lot of Christians think that way. A lot of Christians believe that what being a Christian is all about is getting our behavior right so God will love us. It's kind of like the Boy Scouts, and we're all out to get our merit badges, right? You guys don't know what merit badges are, right, in Boy Scouts, you know? And it's kind of like Christians believe, I, I got to earn my merit badges, and the more merit badges I earn, the more God's going to love me, the better the chance I'm going to get into heaven, but there's a problem with that. The problem with that is some of us stink at getting merit badges. That would be mine. It would be the I burn my marshmallow merit badge, all right? <laughs> and the, the, the reality is the more we try to please God, the more we try to get you know, positive check marks in the good behavior column, the more we learn about God's will, the more we realize how far we fall short. And, and, and if... And if, and if God loving us is based on our behavior. We have a problem. By the way, we as a church have to be careful because, you know, we talk about being more like Jesus, right? And we talk about living out these seven values, and when, when we live out these values, we're more like Jesus. It, and we talk about that that's a response to God's love. We're not doing that to earn God's love. We already have God's love. But, but if we're not careful, sometimes we can start to feel like these are merit badges, right? Hey, I told my neighbor about Jesus this week. I got my sharing merit badge. Way to go, Mark, right? So we got to be careful because our behavior flows out of God's love and God's grace in our lives. And that's something the Pharisee and the tax collector didn't understand. Here's another thing they didn't understand. They misunderstood who God was. They didn't, have, they didn't understand the heart of God and what God's righteousness was all about. There was this guy uh, years later named Paul a follower of Jesus, and he was writing a letter to a church in Rome, a church he had never visited, and he wanted to make sure they understood what the righteousness of God was all about. And so the beginning of his letter, the first three chapters of his letter, he helps them understand that none of us can ever get enough merit badges, right? None of us can ever measure up to what we need to to measure up to the righteousness of God. But then in chapter three, he says these amazing, beautiful words. He says, but now a righteousness of God has been revealed apart from the law. 
In other words, apart from our behavior. He said, this is a righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. You see, folks, being a Christian is not about earning God's love. We can't. What it is about is understanding and receiving a gift that God has for us, and that is the gift of his righteousness that he gives to us. Paul went on to say this. He said, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You see, another mistake the Pharisee and the tax collector were both making is they were comparing their behavior not to God but to one another. The Pharisee was looking at the tax collector and going, I'm not like him. I'm a lot better than that. God must love me. The tax collector was looking at the Pharisee and going, I could never be like that. God must hate me. And they're both wrong. See, first of all, we compare ourselves not to one another. We compare ourselves to a holy, perfect God, which means we all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says. But then he goes on and says these amazing words, but they're justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is ours through Jesus Christ. That's why when Jesus ends this parable, this story about this Pharisee and the tax collector, he says this. He says, I tell you, he, and he's talking about the tax collector, he says, he went down to his house made righteous. In other words, what what Jesus was trying to help us understand is when we humble ourselves before God, when, when, when we admit our faults and our failings, when we realize that we cannot earn his love, that's when his love has a chance to work in our lives and transform us and change us and give us that gift of his love and his grace. So let me ask you again, who are you in the story? Because see, if you believe that somehow you can earn God's love, that, that, that your behavior can make you righteous, make you acceptable to God, you got a problem. In uh, Tim Keller's book about a different parable, the prodigal son parable, he, he says it this way. He says, if you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you've worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, then Jesus may be your helper, your example, even your inspiration, but he's not your savior. Do you know why he's not your savior? Because you're your savior. I mean, really, think about it. If you think you can earn God's love, if you think you can do enough to make God happy with you on your own, then you're your own Savior. You don't need a Savior. But if you recognize that you can't, if you recognize that you fall short, well, then that's a different story. You know, back to Francis Collins' story. Again, you know, that quote, he said, as soon as he realized there was a God, he had this growing sense of God's nature and a profound dismay at his own imperfections. Look at what he went on to say. He said, God was holy and righteous. He would have to hate evil, and there was no reason to suspect that this God would be kindly or indulgent. When, when Francis Collins first came to understand that, that there was this God and he was holy and he recognized he wasn't, his first thing was fear. He was afraid God would be angry with him. He was afraid God would judge him. And then, by the way, he went back to his next-door neighbor who was a pastor who had, who had first kind of given him a book to read that had started him down this path. He, he, and he shared that. He said, I, all right, I believe there's a God, but, but now I'm afraid of him because I, I fall far short. And the pastor just said, yeah, but you don't know the whole story about God. You don't know Jesus. I love that video we used to set up the message today. I, I, I love how... 
first of all, did you see that tax collector? And as he's looking at Jesus and he's recognizing his own faults and failings, he's recognizing he can never earn God's love. And, and as Jesus talks about him saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, did you notice how he was mouthing the words right along with Jesus in tears? He, he knew it. He, was, he knew that he couldn't earn God's love. But did you see the look on Jesus' face? The love that was there. Jesus looked at that tax collector, and while everybody else said he's disgusting, you should stay away from him, Jesus looked at him, and Jesus loved him. Jesus knew that he had been created by his heavenly Father. Jesus knew that he was going to give his life for that tax collector, and Jesus wanted to spend eternity with him. And that's how he feels about you and me. When Jesus looks at you and me this morning, yeah, he sees sinners, He sees people that have fallen short, but he sees people that he is head over heels in love with, that that he's willing to die for. He loves us. So, So the question, what does it mean to have a right relationship with God? The answer is, let God give it to you. My relationship with God is not based in anything I do. If I had to do stuff to earn God's love, I would fail. We say it this way here at Trinity, there is nothing you have to do to make God love you because he already loves you fully and freely and completely. But by the same token, if I, if I feel too much like that tax collector and I feel like God can't possibly love me because of what I've done, th- th- then we gotta remind ourselves there's nothing we could ever do that would make God love us less because his love isn't based on our behavior, it's based in his love for us. That's what a right relationship with him is all about. And that's what Jesus was trying to help that tax collector and that Pharisee understand. So a a number of years ago, before I came to be a pastor here at Trinity, I was at a, a small mission church out in the Elgin area. And there was this one lady at the church that, you know, she was one of those ladies that she was there faithfully in the same, same seat every Sunday. And, uh, and she was there volunteering all the time. You know, whenever we needed anybody to do anything, she was there. And, uh, and I'd gotten to know her well over about the first year I was there, and I always assumed she was a widow. She was an elderly woman, and so I always just assumed her husband was dead because I'd never met him, never heard anything about him, never seen him. And, and so one day, we were, I was actually helping her get communion stuff ready for the weekend, and, and I said to her, I, I said, you know, so, so when did your husband die? And she goes, he's not dead. He's at home. I'm like, really? I said, why doesn't he ever come to church? And she goes, you know, I've asked him that over the years, and he just always says, church isn't for me. So, well, can I meet him? And, and, and she's like, sure. And so, so uh, uh, later that week, she invited me over to the house for coffee, and I got a chance to meet Doug. Doug was a, seemed like a nice guy, and uh, really kind of enjoyed talking with him. He's a good guy. And, it, and so at one point, I said to him, I said, hey, Doug, I got a question for you. You know, your wife's at church all the time. How come you never come with her? How come you never come to church? And he goes, pastor, church isn't for me. I said, well, well, what does that mean? Does it mean you don't like the music? I mean, you don't like the pastor? I mean, what, you know, what, 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 what does that mean? And, and he said, well, I'll tell you. He said, when I was a little boy growing up, I did go to church all the time. And, uh, and, and they made it pretty clear that church wasn't for bad boys like me. And he goes, and, and honestly, the older I got, the worse I got. You know, he said, I've done a lot of things in my life that are not, not very good. Church isn't for people like me. I said, well, do you believe in God? He said, yeah, I believe there's a God. I said, well, what do you think is going to happen to you when you die? And he goes, well, I'm going to go to hell. There's nothing I can do about it. 
And so I, I, I tried to convince him he was wrong. I tried to tell him about Jesus. I tried to help him understand that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And, and then we've got this gift, which is God's love and God's grace. And the church was exactly for people like him. But honestly, he wasn't really having any of it. At least not then. It took a few months. And, uh, and, and a, a number of conversations. And finally, I will never forget it to this day. The pictures just burned in my head. It was one Sunday morning, and I was standing kind of up in the front of the church talking to somebody before the service started. And I looked up, and there came Doug walking through the back of the church with his wife. She was grinning from ear to ear, by the way. And, uh, and, and I started to walk down the aisle uh, to, to say something to him, to, to greet him. And he walked in that door right in the back, and he looked up at the ceiling, and he went like this. He goes, didn't come down. <laughs> well, from that Sunday on, he was a regular right there with his wife every single weekend. He finally understood that God could be merciful to him, a sinner, that God had been merciful to him, just like he's been merciful to you and to me.